This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, February 3rd, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. The Iran nuclear deal created a favorable security environment for the United States and other countries around the globe. So why does it appear that the Trump administration is trying to blow it up? John Glazer, Associate Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, discusses why the bellicose talk looks like all downside and no upside. The Iran nuclear deal was signed uh, by Iran, the United States, and five other nations, Britain, France, Russia, China, and Germany. It imposed really stringent controls on the Iranian nuclear program in exchange for sanctions relief. Now, since it was signed, Iran has reduced its stockpile of centrifuges by two-thirds. It's got rid of 95% of its enriched uranium, uh, and it's begun converting major enrichment sites into peaceful research centers. The Iranian nuclear program right now is the most uh, intensely monitored nuclear program in the world. Uh, inspectors from the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, uh, are there every single month monitoring all related facilities. Um, So the Iranian nuclear program has been significantly rolled back and uh, sanctions have been partially lifted to the point where people can start trading with Iran. This is a really favorable strategic environment for the Trump administration to inherit. And yet, with National Security Advisor Michael Flynn's statement the other day, um, they appear to have chosen to um, make a big controversy and stir up tensions with Iran over relatively innocuous issues. Um, and you know, he, he used language like we're putting Iran on notice. He, he described their ballistic missile test as threatening and alarming. Um, It was really none of those things, first of all. Uh, The worst I think you can say about the ballistic test is that it was uh, deliberately provocative, but it didn't pose a threat to us. It didn't even really pose a threat to our allies in the region. It was a test. I mean, Iran is a sovereign nation in a dangerous region. It's pretty unusual for states to simply refrain from developing measures to defend themselves. So um, I can only, I mean, it's really hard to determine precisely what the administration's goal here was. Um, To paraphrase Ali Vaez of the International Crisis Group, I really see only two explanations. The first one is this was just an empty bluster, wholly unconnected to some kind of broader strategic goal with Iran, or it was a clear statement of intent to eventually go to war. Uh, And, you know, obviously both of those things are extremely reckless, especially given that we have successfully, peacefully negotiated a nuclear deal with Iran that uh, works. What should we expect from the countries, some allies, some not particularly aligned with the United States that helped negotiate this deal? What should we expect their response to be? All of the states that we negotiated the Iran deal with, all of our European allies, uh, China, Russia, they all very much support the Iran deal. uh, And they're all eager for sanctions to continue to be lifted so that they can trade with Iran. Um, And 
if the United States is the one to reimpose sanctions, as it was reported the Trump administration might do, um, then we're going to be isolated. We're going to be uh, the, perceived around the world as having unilaterally withdrawn from the deal. Um, my guess is that the Trump administration knows that being perceived as unilaterally withdrawing from the deal is not good for us. So what they appear to be doing is trying to needle Iran and uh, make them feel hemmed in so that Iran, in a sort of tit-for-tat escalation, appears to violate the deal or pulls out. Um, but obviously, you know, this just causes tension not only with Iran, which is n unnecessary, but it causes tension with our European allies and China and Russia, which we don't need. What should the administration policy be here? Obviously, the inf can just continuing to enforce the deal and moving forward and seeking a continued better environment for uh, negotiating with this country, a uh, I, I don't know how you would describe the, the population of Iran, but these are people, their government aside, who aren't necessarily uh, opposed to the United States. Yeah, Iran has a very young population. They're pretty highly educated. Um, they consume a lot of you know American media and culture. Um, a lot of them uh, want, according to polls, want better relations with the United States. Uh, and they love Americans, if not American foreign policy. So, you know, the, the ingredients are there to have a better relationship with Iran. But the position of the Trump administration seems almost deliberately in, intending to um, marginalize the kind of reformist camp in Iran led by President Hassan Rouhani and bolster the hardliners in Iran, the more conservative clerics and the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, etc. Those hardline hawkish voices in Iran get louder and louder and louder every time the United States does something unnecessarily threatening uh, or bellicose. And so, you know, to have hawks in both countries start clamoring again for, you know, conflict is obviously not healthy. What is the role of Israel here? Presumably, they would be the loudest voice calling for uh, a more stringent, um, if not enforcement of this deal, seeking some sort of deal that is uh, more invasive. So it, that's actually hard to say because I think in public, Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel, has been very public about his opposition to the Iran deal. He says inflammatory things like it paves the way for an Iranian bomb, which it, it does the exact opposite. Um, but there's, there are many in Israel's military, military and intelligence apparatus that strongly support the deal, especially now that it's been signed and Iran has proven to comply so far with it. They say to themselves, this is a good deal. We ought not screw up a good thing that rolls back Iran's nuclear program. Publicly, it's more seems politically in the favor of right-wing people like Benjamin Netanyahu to continue to condemn it and say that it's a bad deal. He also likes, uh, wants to sort of take advantage of uh, better relations with the Trump administration, so he's going to echo their kind of rhetoric. Um, but I think most sort of security analysts in Israel recognize that this is a deal that makes them safer. So. The bottom line here is, as you describe it, threat inflation. Right. 
I guess what's the what is the potential upside of of the this kind of rhetoric? I think that there is not a rational potential upside. I think that uh, people like National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and people like Steve Bannon are ideologically opposed to Iran. They see it as a as a threat, as a as an inherent threat. They they don't do the sometimes difficult task of trying to balance uh, risk and interests and trying to sort of soberly define what we can achieve and you know what we can avoid having to deal with and spend too much time and resources on. That's a kind of delicate approach to international relations that you need a that is difficult to do if you're ideologically opposed to Iran without and, and you know Flynn and Bannon believe really crazy things about the world. I mean, Flynn has written in his book about how Iran is the linchpin of some uh, anti-U.S. Islamic alliance with countries like China and uh, other Arab Gulf states with which Iran does not have good relations. So he believes really kind of wacko conspiracy theories. And um, that is really troubling because if, if you're if – you're, believing a lot of wacko conspiracy theories and you're advising the president, who's a guy like Donald Trump, it means that no matter how much evidence and reason there is to avoid a conflict with Iran, we might not be able to do that if, if the administration believes really weird things. John Glazer is Associate Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.